Yeah, it was skinny. It was, man, I'm talking about. Huh? What did you say? Oh, she's talking to Dean. I'm sorry. Okay. So let's go. There's, let's, do, let's do a quick review. So far, Paul, in the first five chapters of Romans, he's told us that we are all dead in sin, that there is no one that does righteous, not even one. So basically, to sum up the first three chapters of Romans, he's told us that everything that you've ever done good was not good in God's eyes because it was tainted with sin. It didn't matter if you thought you were a good person. It didn't matter if you thought that you had done good or if you really had done good according to your standards or grandma's standards or the world's standards. You had not done anything that was righteous enough to earn you a position in heaven. So God had to give you his own righteousness and how did he do that? By sending his son to die on the cross and he took your place on the cross and took all of your sin and paid the penalty for it and then he gave you his perfect life. He, he lived, uh, lived and died from zero to 33 years old, never sinned and he gave you that perfect life so his life is accounted to your account. Your life is accounted to his and he pays the penalty of death. The wages of sin is death so he pays that penalty for you. Okay? And in chapter 4 we talked about how it's always been by faith. It's always been by grace through faith. It's not something that God just came up with now after the Old Testament. Chapter 5 is about righteousness and grace, about how when you trust in Jesus and you trust in Him that He paid those the penalty for sin for you, that... Um, that it is accredited to you as righteousness and you stand in grace. And then at the beginning of chapter 6, we saw one objection, okay? The objection was, should we continue in sin so that grace may abound? It said, you know, where sin abounded, where there was a lot of sin in our life, God had that much more grace. He was saying that God's, that God's grace is always more powerful than sin. There's no sin. You could be murderer, child molester. You could be serial killer. You could, there's no sin that God's grace is not powerful enough to cover. But when you say that when you sin, grace has covered you, the immediate reaction, the first question pops in your mind is, well, shall we just go on and continue in sin then since grace is so powerful? And we saw what was the reason why that's not not the case in the first part of chapter 6 last week. He gave us one he gave us one big long example. So if if somebody says why can I not just go on and sin? The first thing was because why? You are united in Christ. You dead to sin, that's right. You're dead. Now this is a second example he's going to give today, and this is the remainder of this chapter. Um, he's going to say the last thing he said in the beginning of chapter 6 was um, because he says, Sin shall not have dominion over you because you are not under law but under grace. Now when you say, have you ever heard somebody say, well, I'm not, we're not under law, we're under grace. I remember somebody at one of these youth camps probably five or six years ago who said that they asked, they asked me, uh, they were asking the kids, they were asking, what is sin? You know, and they were just trying to get an answer, and nobody answered. So I raised my hand. I said, sin is transgression of the law. He didn't know it at the time, but I was quoting 1 John 2.4. said, I think it's 2.4. Anyway, it's 1 John something. It says, sin is transgression of the law. And I was just quoting the verse, and I was just going to let... 
And he said, but we're not under the law anymore. And then that clicked off. I was like, well, let's just go. So I can murder now. I can adultery, commit adultery now. I can, well, no, no, you can't do that. Like, well, then maybe we are still there. The law is still there. You know, so it got into a big confused mess. So when I say you are not under law, sin does not have dominion in your life because you are not under law, but under grace. What's the first question that pops in your mind? It's the one he asked, verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? That's the objection. So we're not under law, we're under grace, so we can just go right on sin and it'll be fine, right? He says, God forbid. And then the first example he gave us was because we're dead. You're dead to sin, therefore you can't live in it anymore. The second one is going to be about slavery. Okay, he's going to talk about you are no longer a slave to sin and you are now a slave to righteousness. Now, when we talk about slavery, the first thing that pops into your mind is like American colonial slavery where it's like, you know, we all on the chain gang and masses whipping me with the belt, you know, all that kind of stuff. And there is a a sense of that, but I want you to know in Paul's time when he was talking to the people in Rome, in in the city of Rome, one third of the population were slaves. One third. So they were all, and slavery was not something like you're thinking about, like like American slavery. Slavery was the, I mean, it was like the economic system of the day. There was no welfare. There was no government help. There was no assistance. If you're, if you like, if you're a woman and your husband died and you had no way to feed yourself, you could sell yourself into slavery for a period of time. See what I mean? And you're the person that you that you would serve. They would, you know, they'd take care of you. They would do. But you were serving them. You would have to serve them. So if you were, you know, if you got your leg cut off and you're handicapped, you got two options. You can, you can, somebody in your family could sell themselves into slavery to someone to make ends meet, to have a roof over the head, to have something to eat. Or you could just beg, sit on the corner somewhere and just beg for something. You know, those were your two options. There was no welfare. There was no anything. So when Paul is talking about slavery, he's going to talk about us yielding ourselves to it. He's like, who you obey is your master. That's what he's talking about. He's saying, look, you, uh, let's read it first. It says, says, should we just go on and sin because we're, we're not under law, but under grace? It says, God forbid. And this is the reason why it says, don't you know, know you not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to, to whom you offer yourselves to, to whom you give yourselves to in obedience. It says, his servants you are to whom you obey. Okay? You see the the point he's making? Who you offer yourselves in obedience to is your master. It's as simple as that. And Paul says there's only two. You got two choices. You can either yield yourself to sin, which leads to death, sin unto death, or you can yield yourself to obedience, which leads to righteousness. And it's talking about righteousness uh, that's played out in your life. Okay? So, um, who you submit to, who you surrender, who you yield to, who you offer yourself to is your master. Okay? Um, You can make all the arguments about not under law, under grace. You can make all kind of arguments about what I think, what what I believe, what I know to be true. You can do all that you want to, but the fact boils down to who you yield yourself to is your master. I used to work in a body shop 
And in, uh, if you ever worked in body shops, the worst thing in the world that you want is like a big restoration, like a like a '57 Chevy that's rusted all over, and they want it redone, completely refinished, and all. I mean, those are the worst jobs. You want like I want a ding and a fender. Let me get it done three hours. Be out and give me my money. You know that's what I want. So this guy, when I first started working, it was in Covington. He was like the most experienced guy there. You know, he was like been at the company for 20 something years and he was paying everybody, man. And, and they brought in this, I don't even remember what it was, but it was like a, like a Dodge Charger or something like that, but not one of these new ones. It was before the new one came out. It was one of them 70 model or whatever. And I'm talking about this thing was rust from front to back. And I don't know if you know anything about that, but when, when you got rust on your car, it, it's there forever. I mean, you can kind of fix it and patch it up where it'll be okay for three or four years, but eventually it's going to come back, you know, because it's so humid here. And so the guy brought the car in. We got a restoration job. Here it is right here. And this guy gets paid. He gets paid by the hours on the job. The job pays six hours. It don't matter if you spend three hours on the job or you spend 24 hours on the job, you get paid six hours because that job pays six hours, right? And so this guy was like, I ain't doing it. I don't even care. I don't care what he said. I don't care what he said. I don't care what, I ain't doing it. I ain't putting a fake. I, I mean, he was like, he was in a tissy. He was in a fit. I am not putting my finger on that car. Not one, I'm not going to do it. Right? I walked in the next morning, guess what he doing? <laughs> Sanding on that car, grinding on that car. You can tell me whatever you want to, man. You can give me all the whatever, but to whom you yield yourself servants to, that's who you're going to obey. That's your master. Okay? So you're going to yield to sin or you're going to yield to righteousness. Those are, those are your only two choices. So when he's saying, since we're not under law, but we're under grace... Can we just go on and sin because we're not under that law anymore, we're under grace? He's saying, no, because your master is no longer sin. And if you continue to yield to sin, then sin is still your master and you haven't been freed. Everybody got me? Y'all tracking? Any questions? You following me? Saying, you won't do that. Okay? That's the principle right there. Who you yield to, who you offer yourself to, is your master. Okay? And so, now, here's what, how he's going to apply that principle to us. It says, But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you, being made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. Now, what I want you to see and what I want you to know is Paul had never been to Rome at this point. Not yet. He hadn't seen him yet. And so, he is writing to the church at Rome, and I want you to look at all the past tense verbs that he used. He says, first of all, God is thanked for your salvation. It's not you that you were just so good, or that you had the insight, or you were smarter than the guy next to you. It was God that saved you. But it says that you were, see that? That you were servants of sin. What does that imply? You're not anymore. That you're no longer servants of sin, Right? But you have obeyed. It implies that you did something. Okay? You obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine. I love this. 
the key phrase here in this is from from the heart. Now, I used to get into arguments. I had a Church of Christ friend that was, you know, all about maintaining your salvation by obedience. And he would use this verse all the time. He says, he says that, you know, that you were servants of sin, but you obeyed from the heart. So you got to obey. You got to keep obeying. But the thing is, you do it from the heart. Okay. You're not just keeping rules. You're not just obeying commandments. You're obeying that form of doctrine. What do you think that form of doctrine is talking about? Doctrine means teaching. That form of teaching that was delivered to you. What form of teaching was delivered to the Roman Christians to make them Roman Christians? The gospel. Yeah. He said, so you obey the gospel, which was delivered to you, but you didn't obey it like you obey thou shalt not kill. Okay, I won't kill. You didn't do it like as a duty. It's my duty not to do these things. I said duty. It's my, it's my, I have to do these things. It's my rules. It's my, it's my law. It's what I live by. I can't, you know, it's not like these commands are just oppressing me and they're just down on my head and I've got to do them and it's my job to do it and I can't. You did it from the heart. What does that mean? From the heart. Right. That you, you gave your obedience Willing. Willingly from the heart. You yielded yourself to a new master. Okay? Sin no longer determined what you did. Now, a lot of people don't see this, and I want to make sure that you understand it, is that when you are without Christ, and I've, I've told you all this a million times, and if you, you'll hear it from me a million more. You, there is not, I'm good, I'm, I'm bad, I'm better, I'm pretty good, I'm good. There is, you are, what, zero. You have zero percent righteousness without Christ. Everything you've ever done is sinful. It's tainted by your sin. You did it for the wrong motive, did it for the wrong reason, you had it in your heart to do, even, even the good things that you did. We went uh, in the youth group and we went and helped, you know, prepare food for children and we gave food to children and we played with the children when they came. All of that stuff, none of it counted for my righteousness. None of it counted to say, God, I did this, therefore I should go to heaven. None of it. Zero. So you are either, either zero. righteous in God's eyes or in Christ you're perfect in God's eyes 100% you cannot be one or the other you cannot be in the middle somewhere in the father's eyes because he is perfect and only accepts perfection therefore if you're not perfect you're completely condemned but if you are perfect you're completely saved completely redeemed so it says, God, be thanked that you were the servants of sin. When, when you were without Christ, you did what you desired to do. And our hearts are, are uh, they're, just, they're just wicked. I don't know. I mean, you might, all I can do is tell you about me because I don't know your heart. All I know is mine. My heart is wicked. It's bad, wicked. And if Christ were for somehow, I'm probably getting charcoal on my face. If Christ were somehow to leave me or, you know, we don't believe in that. But, you know, if it was just to come, if I was left to my own device, I'd be right back where I started. And it wouldn't be no different than before. Because that's how wicked my heart is. Uh, We went to, uh, well, let me, let me just, let me just continue here. Servants to sin. When sin said come, you went. 
There's something inside of you that wanted it. When we went, we went to the water park this, this week with the boys. and Me and Blake, we, we talked to the boys about there's going to be something inside you when you go to this water park. Now, we're, we're working under the assumption that all these boys are saved because we had talked to them that week and we would presented the gospel to them. They had all made professions, you know, or made professions in the past. So we were telling them that when we go to this water park, you know, you're, there's going to be something inside of you that's going to want to look at all the things that are going on. Like, they're going to look at all these bikinis and all this stuff going on. I mean, it's, it's funny, but I'm telling you, there's something inside of you that draws you. You know what I mean? And it's like... And so what we have to do is we, we were telling them, you know, you, you, you turn your eyes, you don't, what I was telling them was giving them, showing them how, you know, to make a covenant with your eyes that you, when you see it, you turn, you look in another direction and you make sure that you stay looking in another direction. And we were talking about it's a war, it's a fight, it's, it's always going to be there. But what we were teaching them was that you are no longer slaves to sin. You're no longer slaves to that desire within you. You're slaves to a new master. And so you don't have to obey that master when it calls, okay? When, when we first got there, there wasn't a lot of people there. And it was like a lot of people that had on bikinis that forgot to look in the mirror before they left the house. And so Houston was like, I, I must be a lot more spiritual than y'all because I, I ain't having no trouble. I ain't having no trouble. But, you know, by the end of the day, you know, the water park filled up and, and they understood what we were talking about, you know. And that's just something from a male perspective. You know, I'm sure you women have your own things, whatever. But the point is that you are no longer, before Christ, you, would have, you wouldn't have thought twice. I mean, just, uh, you know, you would have just went, you would have just went on or whatever. You know what I mean? But now there's a spirit inside of you and you don't have to obey that you're not subject to that master anymore. He is not your, if you're a slave, he is not your master. Can you imagine, put yourself in first century Rome, you're a slave and Curtis is my master and me and Curtis are walking down, down the street and another guy walks up and says, hey you, I need you to go do the, 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 whatever, do this, do this, do that. Curtis going to say, oh, I bought this guy. This ain't, this, he's not yours. He's mine. You don't tell him what to do. I tell him what to do. You are slaves not to sin and death anymore. You are slaves to God and righteousness. So now, when, when, it, when it draws out of you, when that flesh comes and it says, hey, you want this. You need this. You, you do this. I don't have to obey that master anymore. I don't yield myself. It says, being then made free. Y'all probably wouldn't know this, but not the way it's written anyway. But being made free is in the perfect, it's in the perfect tense. Anybody know what the perfect tense is? It doesn't really matter. Perfect tense is it's a completed action in the past and it has continuing results in the future, which means that it's a one once for all deal. You were, it's not like, okay, we're we're continually being freer and freer and freer. You are growing in holiness, but this right here is in the perfect tense. It's saying you have been made free from sin. Free from the dominion and power of sin, and you, past tense, look, here's another one. You became what? Servants of righteousness. This is your master now. This is the one that tells you. Have you ever, when I was lost, when I was lost, I was not what you would call, I would have considered myself a good person. I really would have. 
because I mean I did I did a lot of drugs, did a lot of that kind of stuff. But you know, I never hurt anybody. I didn't get into getting into fights that much. I didn't, you know, I didn't cheat on my wife. I didn't, you know, murder people. I didn't. I would have considered, compared to some of them folks, I would have considered myself a pretty good person, right? But I was. What was I? What was I saying? You're talking about being a servant of righteousness, right? But I was a servant to my own desires. What I wanted. I was like a. It's like an animal. You know, they don't reason. They don't. They just. If it feels what they feel is what they do. When they're hungry, they follow that instinct. When they're scared, they run off. When they when they feel threatened, back in the corner, they fight. You know, it's just they're running off of what. It's like a machine. It's wound up and it just runs off of those instincts. And that's what men do who are not under the lordship of Christ. That's what women do who are not under the lordship of Christ. It's all about me. And I can give you a perfect example. Even even some, like if you've got a mother who, you know, who's pouring everything into their kids, she is doing it to get satisfaction out of pouring everything into her kids. You see what I mean? So it, when, when it all comes back around, it's always about me. I am on the throne. I want happiness. And when I pour my life into my kids and give them what they want, it gives me happiness. Therefore, I'm happy. Or when I go and I get the perfect job and I work and I work up the corporate ladder, I'm happy. When I'm successful, I'm happy. When I'm looking good, I'm happy. When I'm whatever it is, it's always about me. But now it's not about me anymore. It's about my new master. How can I serve God? How can I make God happy? How can I do what God wants me to do? And that comes because your heart has been changed. Now, he says, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. He's talking about, I'm using this example of slavery. Because it's a, you can relate to what I'm talking about when I talk about masters and slaves. He says, your heart was so wicked. It so controlled you that I'm using this example. I'm speaking after the manner of men. I'm using a human physical example to demonstrate what this spiritual reality looks like in you. You were a slave. Over in 1 Corinthians 10, it says that you cannot serve two masters. You cannot drink from both cups. You're either serving Christ or you're serving Satan. That sounds wild, doesn't it? Have you ever met a real Satan worshiper? I mean a real one. I'm not talking about them little teenagers with the black fingernails, the emo guys. I'm talking about a real one. You ever met one? Nobody's met one? Uh, they're, not, they're not exactly what you would, would think. They, uh, well, first, they don't really worship Satan. But if you on the internet playing around one time, sometime, Google up like the Church of Satan or whatever and look at the, they have a list of their doctrines. And it's not about, it's, all it is is about you do what you want to do. That's all it is. I mean, that's the cardinal rule of, of what the Church of Satan adopted as their slogan came from a guy named Aleister Crowley. And he said, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. Just do what you want to do. As simple as that. So we're not talking about sacrificing goats and chanting and wearing black robes and doing. I mean, that's not what we're talking about. We're just talking about, hey, you do what you want to do. That is the essence of what Satan and sin want for you. They don't want you out sacrificing babies and out robbing banks and out. They don't want you doing all that kind of stuff. They just want you to do what you want to do. 
It's as simple as that. And they, I, I mean, I, that's provable. Just go look for yourself. You don't even need me to tell you that. That's the essence of what it means to be a servant of Satan, to be a servant of sin, to be a servant. It's just you do what you want to do. And now he's saying, this is who you are. Look, he's not saying that y'all try real hard to be servants of righteousness and try real hard to stop being servants of sin. He's saying you were servants of sin. It says, but you obeyed. You obeyed the gospel. You came when you, what does it mean to obey the gospel? Anybody? Nobody? I mean, really? Yeah. What he, what Paul's told you the first, first five chapters. Trust in Jesus. Trust in Him. To obey the gospel means to put your faith in Him. To trust in Him. You obeyed from the heart. You trusted Him from the heart. The gospel, that form of doctrine which was given to you. And it says, now you have been made free. It's talking about a reality. It's not saying try real hard to be free. It's saying you have been made free. And you became the servants of righteousness. It did not say, okay, now guys, we got to start being, you got to start being servants of righteousness. Got to really, it said you have become servants of righteousness. That is your new master. It's like Curtis owned me. I'm his slave. And then Blake came along and he purchased me out of service of Curtis into his service. That's what Christ did. He came and purchased us out of our sin and our death and bought us for himself. And now we serve him. We serve righteousness. So it says, verse 19, uh, when you were sons, uh, 19 and 20, 19 being 20, it's going to tell us what to do now that we're, now that we're servants of sin. It says, this is what we're to do. It says, as you, in the same way, in the same way that you have yielded, that you did at one time, yield your members, what are your members? Anybody? Hands, feet, eyes, body parts, tongue, mind, ears, feet. I already said feet. Yielded your members, servants to uncleanness and iniquity unto iniquity. That means once you start yielding to sin, it gets easier and easier to sin. Once you start with iniquity, it's going to produce more iniquity. It says, in the same way that you used to yield yourself to that, it says, in the same way now, even so, just like that, now you yield your members, your hands, your eyes, your feet, your your mind, servants to righteousness. And what does righteousness lead to? Holiness. Leads to holiness. And that is a growing, progressive thing. It's not like all of a sudden, pow, whoo, I'm holy. It's like today I'm more holy than I was yesterday. And then tomorrow I'm going to be more holy than I was today. Isn't the definition of holiness the process? Well, the word holiness here is the word that is also translated in other places, sanctification. Okay, so it would be the process. So, but the, holy, the definition of holiness is not the process, but the tense of the verb that's used is process. Okay? So, for when you were servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. Blake is righteousness, right? And Curtis is sin. Did you get the black shirt on? Okay. I'm Curtis's slave. Do I owe Blake anything? 
If I'm Curtis's slave, he ain't got no he ain't got no claim on me at all. I'm free. I'm free from his rule. I don't have to follow his nothing. I don't do nothing. But when he when righteousness buys me, purchases me from sin, now I belong to now I belong to righteousness. And I, I owe him. I don't owe, owe Curtis anymore. And it says for when you were servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. Now, it's going to talk about the results of that. But before we get that, let me give you one more illustration. Now, you say what you're thinking right now is, you know, he says that I'm free from sin, but I still sin. And he says that I have to yield my members to obey. But, man, I catch myself all the time not yielding my members to obey. So what does that mean? What, how do I reconcile both facts? Let me explain it to you this way. I've told you that in God the Father's eyes, you're perfect, been free, you're servants of righteousness. And it's working itself out in your life right now. Think of it this way. <clears throat> Sin is the government that rules the city, right, of your life. Let's just, do, let's just do regular cities. Let's say there was a king that came into a country and he overthrew the government with his army. He overthrew them completely. He kicked them right out of the government and he took charge. Now the king is in control. I'm in control and the government that was in control is no longer in control. He booted them out of the capital. Well, they didn't leave the country. Now they're just terrorizing See what I mean? Now they're trying to get, they're trying to, they're trying to destroy and maim. They're trying to just do whatever they can to do terrorism. You know, that's a, that's y'all know what that kind of looks like nowadays. That's what they're doing. They're not in control of the country anymore, but they're still causing havoc through the countryside. And more and more and more, the king and his army is putting them down. When he finds them, he identifies them, and he kills them or puts them in jail or whatever. You see what I'm saying? So the the city, the country of your life has been taken over by this new king, by Christ. But yet the old man that we talked about in chapter 5, the old man, the old nature, the flesh, it still resides there. It's just no longer in command. All it does is terrorize. All it does is, is try to tell you, you need this. You want this. You, you have to have this. But you are not ruled by that anymore. You are not ruled by that anymore. It has no rule over you. You have, you have the freedom in righteousness to, like we were talking about, to avert your eyes when you see something that you shouldn't see. Or to change the channel of your mind when you start thinking something that you shouldn't think. Before you were freed from that, you would have just followed that path wherever it led and it never would have occurred to you. Oh, this is probably wrong. This is evil. This is wicked. It never would occur to you because you were a servant to that sin. You were a servant to that way of thinking. You were a servant to that. But you were freed from that. And the fact now, look at me, the fact that you have the inclination in your mind that this, the fact that we as young men walked into that, as, well, them as young men, I'm getting older, but... We walked into that water park 
ready to do battle with our eyes, with whatever we saw, the fact that we, whether we won the battle or whether we lost the battle, the fact that we walked in there consciously knowing that God does not, God wants us to do this and we're going to do, do battle in order to give God what he wants. The fact that we were consciously thinking of that is evidence that we are no longer slaves of sin because before we were, when we were slaves of sin, it never would have even crossed our mind. You know what I mean? It never, we, no, nobody would have thought about it. It would have been just going on. We would have, you know, we might not have said nothing about it, but it would have been going on the whole time. You know what I mean? Never would have thunk it. Never would have thought about it. When I was a servant of sin, I didn't have a problem fighting with pride. I didn't have a problem. I mean, I'm just, I was just a man. I'm just a man. Simply, I mean, it's just fact. People say, well, you just think you're something. I said, no, I know. I know I'm something. You know, I, y'all supposed to smile. It's like, man. You know, when you had whatever struggle you have, before you say you didn't struggle with it, you just lived in it. I mean, it was just there. It was there all the time, you know. And so it shows that you are no longer slaves to that sin. Now, remember, he's trying to answer a question here. Are we supposed to just sin because we're not under the law? And he says, no, you're free from the law, but you're not free to sin. You're free from it because it was your master. And now you're free from the sin. Now, what's the big deal? What's the big deal about being free from sin? And then we're going to quit. We're done. Here's the results. For when you were servants of sin, notice he's implying that you are not anymore. Because that you're saved. When you were servants of sin, you were free from... Oh no. Yeah, we already read that. Verse 21. What fruit had ye then in those things? What are those things? Come on, y'all. Even if you're wrong, just say something. It don't matter. I won't say, oh, you're wrong. I'll just see that. We'll just move. Huh? Yeah, in those things, in the things that you were doing, the cert, when you were under certain uh, slave to sin, the things that came out of your mouth, the things that went into your mind, the things that you did, what you submitted your members to. It says, what fruit had you then in those things whereof you are now what? Ashamed. Why are you now ashamed of it? Because you have a changed heart. Because you have a changed heart. You're no longer service to sin. I love that. It says you were service to sin, but now... You're ashamed of those things. We could have walked into that water park and shame would have never crossed my mind without Christ. I mean, now, you know, if you, everybody's got a conscience. So if you walk up and grab somebody or whatever, do something stupid, you know, you might be ashamed when you get caught or whatever. But shame would, when we were fighting that battle, when we were fighting that battle, when, when, we give in a little too much and we felt that sin was sin was right at the door immediately shame what fruit what what fruit did you have when you were doing those things and you're now ashamed of those because the end of those things is death that shame is holy ghost holy spirit conviction in your life showing you this is wrong this is not right this is not right and you didn't have that before you didn't have that before it says but now, being made free from sin, there we again, implying you are no longer the servants of sin, and you have become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness. I love that. I love that. Look, look what it says. It says, what was your fruit? 
when you were doing those things that you're ashamed of now. It's like, if, if you ever heard me give my testimony, you know, some more in more intimate set, settings, I'll tell you a little more. But most of y'all just know rock and roll music, sinner, you know, saved, right? But if I went into the intricacy, I, you won't hear me go into the, the details of what I was because, man, it's just shameful. It's shameful. And so you're ashamed of those things. I did something at camp this week I'm ashamed of. But now being made free from sin and... Don't be giggling. Don't be, don't be giggling. It ain't funny. And become servants of, to God. I'm just kidding. It is a little bit funny. Do you have your fruit? It says you've got it right now. You've got your fruit unto holiness. I mean, do you see it in your life? The fact that we decided as a group we were going to walk into that water park and we were going to do, do battle with everything that came before our eyes that wanted to take our heart, our mind off God. That is fruit that leads to holiness. Because no matter how good or bad we did, if we scored an 80% or a 75% or a 90% when we walked out of the, whatever our grade was on how good or bad we did battle, that was fruit unto holiness because we were fighting for something that nobody else could see but that God wanted from us. You understand? That's our fruit. You got it right now. You've got, you can see the evidence in your life that you are no longer a slave to sin. Are you where you want to be? Absolutely not. You're not going to be. Not going to be in this life. And a lot of times, well, we won't say that. Fruit unto holiness and the end, everlasting life. And then the summary statement, y'all probably all know it by heart, for the wages of sin is death. Sin earns death, period. Sin earns it. Y'all got a job. When Friday comes, boss, you owe me. I don't work all week. You owe me my paycheck. It's not like, can I please have my pay? No, you owe me my paycheck. I don't work all week. You owe me my paycheck. When you, the work of sin, you're owed death. So it's not like, oh, I hope, you know, you know, death is not coming saying, um, hello, is that? No, no, no. I'm coming for you. And this is not, this is not physically dying. The wages of sin is death. It's eternal separation from God. The reason I know that is because everybody dies, for one. But two, it is contrasted right here, not with living, but with eternal life. See what I mean? It's, con it's, it's, it's making a parallel, saying the wages of sin is death. That's one end of the spectrum. But the gift of God is eternal life. That's the other end of the spectrum. Okay? So it doesn't matter how awesome you are or how beautifully you do, you're going to die one day. We're all going to die. And it's a good thing for a believer to die. But here, the wages of this sin is eternal separation from God. It's eternally, it's being cast out of His presence. Did you know that you, no matter how bad, if you're lost, saved, serial killer, child molester, or Billy Graham, you're in some way in the presence of God. You know, He gives you the sunshine. He gives you the rain. He give, you know, you have blessings no matter what kind of person you are. You know, you can feel the cool breeze outside. You can go fishing and get enjoyment. You can have great kids. And I mean, no matter if you're lost, saved, how horrible you are, or how awesome you are, you have blessings from God. Can you imagine all of it? 
being cut off. No more. You, no more will you have enjoyment from anything. There will never be another moment of joy or peace or wholeness or happiness in, for eternity. Ever. I mean, can you imagine? Like right now, it's easy for people to dismiss Christ because they're enjoying the world that He created. You know, they have the air conditioning and they have the, you know, we can go hiking and we can go riding four-wheelers. And, you know, it's easy to dismiss God. But imagine what it would be like when you will not have the opportunity to experience any fraction of a second of joy ever again for eternity. After you've, after you've been there 10 billion, trillion, million years, you'll still have eternity to go. Okay, after you've been there that long, it'll still be eternity. So imagine, it's, this is the summary statement of the whole chapter. It says, the wages of sin, what you earn from sin is eternal death, eternal separation from God. It says, but nobody earned this. This, is, this statement is making sure you understand that all, none of this means that you're working for your salvation because yielding yourself and all that doesn't earn you anything. It's a what? It's the gift of God. The gift of God is eternal life. And how do we get that gift? In through Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Understand? So, chapter 6, we're going to move on to chapter 7 next week. Chapter 6, two objections. Number one, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? The answer was no, you can't because you died to sin. Second objection, well, since we're not under the law but under grace, can we sin? No, you can't because you don't serve that master anymore. That master, you've been freed from that master, okay? Everybody understand? So you can look at your life and see what master that you serve. You can, you know, we all have successes, we all have failures, we all have those things, but I always like to liken it to a snapshot and a, and a movie. You know, you could take a snapshot of my life and you can catch me doing something really stupid and say, look at this snapshot. He's not a believer. But if you, if you pull back and look at the whole movie of my life from the time I was converted to right now, you would see progressive in holiness. In holiness. You know, I may do something dumb and then progress through it and learn from it and blah, blah, blah. But if your life is not moving and progressing toward holiness, then you need to examine yourself whether you be the faith or not. Okay, did everybody understand chapter 6? Anybody have any questions? Anything you didn't understand? Anything that you want to talk about? Any, any deal at all? Anybody watch the World Cup? No, I'm just kidding. Okay. So what we're going to do is we're going to pray. We're going to move on from here. Chapter 7 is going to hit a lot of us where we live. That's where we actually talk about the struggle and the war that we fight against sin and how, you know, it's, it's continually trying to make me do stuff I don't want to do and what do I do? And it's going to talk about that battle of sin. And then chapter 8 is probably one of the most glorious chapters uh, in the whole Bible. It's one of my favorites. So we'll get into that, okay? So let's pray and then we'll go. Father, we love you, God. We thank you for, we thank you for purchasing us out of the slave out of the slave camp that we were in. Thank you. Thank you from thank you for purchasing us 
from the master that we served, which was our sin and death, and you purchased us to, for righteousness and for your sake, God. That So now we, uh, we, we can't even understand it perfectly, God, but we know that we have a desire to please you. And it only comes from you. It only comes from the new heart that you've given us. So, Father, we thank you for that, God, and we rejoice in that. And as we go into service, Lord, you would give us ears to hear, a heart to worship you, God. You would help us to, to push everything aside and just allow us to be free in our worship and just to worship you with our whole heart and our whole mind, our voices in song, everything that you would have us to do. And you come and you inhabit with us, God, as we praise your name. Be with us as the word is preached, God, that you would just teach us and that you would show us your will for our lives. And most of all, God, we pray that whoever doesn't know you, that they would come to know you as their Lord and Savior today, that you would bring them into your kingdom, that you would come and you would purchase them from the slave master that they're under, God. Because it's easy, it's easy to be born a slave and to never realize that this is not the way life should be. But God, when you come and you open, open their minds, Lord, show them the, the beauty and perfection that you have for them and the sacrifice that you paid for them. We love you. God, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, we got done at a good time. It is 1014. That's almost perfect.